This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9, hi, FM. A very good afternoon to you. It's Kate Turkington, and we're talking travel again, Travels with Kate. Come with me every week at noon on a Sunday. We're going to be going to all sorts of places, local, overseas, who knows? We may even go to the moon. We'll see. Okay. Well, school's nearly over for the year. I know all the teenagers, or most of the older teenagers, are in the middle of exams, I know, because I've got three in my uh, household. But school's nearly over for the year, so holidays are almost upon us. So I thought I'd talk about one of South Africa's favourite holiday destinations. And, of course, it's one which attracts loads of foreign visitors as well. So think beaches, come on, think beaches, think some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And in South Africa, not only do we have beautiful beaches, but so many of them are not crowded. So think beaches and think perhaps some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And where am I talking about? I'm talking about Plettenberg Bay in the Western Cape, or as the locals call it, we call it Plett. Okay, the beaches. Let me tell you just first of all about that coastline. You know, it's had rave reviews ever since the Portuguese first arrived here. They arrived in 1497, you know, in those little caravels, those little ships. And if you go to the museum in Mossel Bay at the start of the garden route, they've got a replica of one of those ships that the Portuguese mariners sailed from Sagres in western Portugal all the way down to Africa. And think about it. They they knew nothing. They had maps which said, here be monsters. They didn't even know if the world was flat or not. They didn't even know if they were going to fall off. But the caravel they've got in the museum at Mossel Bay uh Actually, for the centenary or, or some big celebration, it was actually sailed from Portugal again right down to Mossel Bay. And you can climb on that ship, you see how small it is, and you wonder at the bravery, the audacity, the foolishness, who knows, of those Portuguese mariners. And interestingly, maybe you didn't know this, Henry the Navigator, King Henry the Navigator, King of Portugal, he motivated all these sailors to go and do these deeds of daring do. He never left the shores of Portugal. He never ever left the shores of Portugal, yet he inspired these amazing voyages. So coming back to Plet, it was the Portuguese who first said when they set eyes on it in 1497, they called it Bahia Formosa, meaning beautiful bay. And so it has remained to this day. There are 11 beaches, four 
blue flag beaches. If you don't know what blue flag beaches are, and I'm sure most of you do, they're regarded as the absolute epitome of beautiful beaches globally. You've got blue flag beaches in Australia. You've got blue flag beaches in Vietnam. A very, very sought-after title. Well, Plett has 11 beaches, and four of them, can you believe, are blue flag beaches. So they're ranked among the best in the world. And just three rivers flow into the sea here. The, the very spectacular one, of course, is the Kerbooms uh, Lagoon. That's where it flows into the sea. Great for swimming, great for surfing, great for sailing, great for hiking, great for fishing, great for almost anything. So you can't do much better than Plett. Although, just a caveat, a warning, the water is colder all, all year round than Durban or northern KwaZulu-Natal. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, I'm Kate Turkington, and at the moment we're talking about Plettenberg Bay, Plett. Of course, there are wonderful beaches all over South Africa, but I'm talking about Plett in particular because it does have some of the most beautiful beaches in South Africa. And I was telling you, three rivers uh, flow into the sea here, the Kerbooms and two other rivers. The central beach, that's where all the dolphin and whale watching boats go from, and the kayaking trips uh, too. So there's quite a constant stream, just be warned, there's quite a constant stream of tenders going out to the fishing boats which are moored in the bay. So it is quite busy, but it's still a great spot. Just avoid the boat ramp area where when you're there swim in the southern section and by the way all those beautiful beaches along the garden route and the beaches at Plett they all have food and drink they've got lifeguards they've got parking they've got toilets they've got amenities and remember though that the lifeguards are only on duty during the summer months and don't try to swim if there isn't a lifeguard. I mean, every week we hear of fatalities of people who've been caught in uh, riptides. <laughs> I was once caught in a riptide, just remembered this, on Wilderness Beach, uh, managed to get through it and arrived on the beach with what, what my friend said was a dysfunctional bathing costume. My swimsuit had slipped down almost to uh, my knees. Okay, then there's Kerbum Strand, of course, uh, named after the our own indigenous Kerbum tree. Lovely sandy beach. That, of course, is about 10 k's from Plett on the eastern edge of the bay. But if you're fit, you can actually walk all the way from here to nature's Valley, but again, watch the tides. You remember that old English saying, that old English adage, fire and water make good servants, but bad masters. Being taught, that's probably Shakespearean too. Um, fire and water make good servants, but bad masters. So watch the tides. If you're not super fit and you don't want to do that, you can just stroll a mile down that Corbin Strand uh, uh, relax for a while and then walk 
back. So lots of lovely, lovely beaches. And if you're not a beach person, well, what is there to do in and about Plettenberg Bay? I'm one of these people, I find it very hard to sit on a chair on the beach with a book. Um, I'm distracted, I'm not comfortable, the tide's either coming in or out. So I'm quite happy to go down and watch the kids making sandcastles or watch people playing volleyball or just watch people. I love watching people. I'm a people uh, watcher. But I'm going to be telling you about lots of other things you can do if you want to be more active and also lovely, lovely places uh, to visit. I was there in Plett. I was actually lucky. I was staying at the Plettenberg for a couple of nights. But I was updating a big international travel guide uh, earlier this year. So I was able to uh, visit a lot of places along the garden route. So it's all very fresh in my memory still. So I'm going to be talking about some of the things you can do, walking, hiking, kayaking, and the ultimate, of course, uh, the bungee jump. <laughs> More of that anon. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, we're talking travel, and we're going to be talking to a place about a place maybe you don't know about. If you're on Facebook, you would have seen uh, references to Lion Rock, but it's a wonderful sanctuary in the Free State. Um, called Bethlehem, appropriately, it's called Bethlehem. But joining me now to tell us much more about it, because it's the most wonderful place, and they're doing the most wonderful work, and she won't say that, so I can say it for her, is Elise Parker from Four Paws. Elise, tell me, first of all, tell me about Four Paws. That's Four Paws, like a dog or a cat or a lion or a tiger has. Tell me about the organization Four Paws. Kate, we're a global animal welfare organization for animals under direct human influence. So what we do, we reveal and then we rescue and then we protect. Okay, so that is for animals in really tragic circumstances like in, in zoos and in circuses and also in war zones. And after we've rescued them, we bring them to places, sanctuaries, either in Europe or in South Africa at Lions Rock, and then we give them a forever home where they are in appropriate circumstances for that species. So Lions Rock is the sanctuary. Where is it, Elise? Lions Rock is in the best part of the Free State, the Eastern Free State, and it's among all the high hills there. And Lions Rock is part of Bethlehem, so the community there as well. They're also very welcome always at Lions Rock, also the Free State community, and of course the whole of South Africa. So it's about half an hour's drive from Bethlehem, but that's about four hours' drive from Johannesburg. But if you were going to Derb, say, or if you were going in that direction, it's not not a difficult stop-off to do. And, of course, you've got accommodation, haven't you? But we've got a lovely accommodation, and now after COVID, we've just sorted everything out again. And we are down there with lots of packages, wonderful packages, weekend packages. And we also have um, the lodge. The lodge is accommodation 
online shop and the packages that we've put together has got tours in it, Kate. So the tours are actually there. At present, we have more than 70 lions there. We've got more than 23 tigers and three leopards. So these are in enclosures. We are not a petting zoo. We don't do cub petting at all, but we are a big, big, like a sanctuary where somebody can get on a safari vehicle. So we have the tours with the safari vehicles and we show our visitors the lovely animals. We tell them their stories and we have an air bridge. So the air bridge is where we invite people to come up sort of like five or six meters into the air. And from the top of the air bridge and a platform there, you can see the whole of this lovely Free State Valley. You can see the Line Valley. You can see the Tiger Valley. And that is perhaps the best part of it to stand uh-huh. on that Airbridge, get and just see all those animals. And, and tell us some of the stories. I seem to remember, I don't know if I've read it or I heard from somebody, about some lion who'd been born in a cage and was thin and he was brought to Lion's Rock in a, a container and when you opened yeah, it to let him out. T- tell the story, Elise. The sad stories are those stories of, of the lions who, and the tigers who were born into captivity. I can perhaps you tell you the story, Kate, of the one that's really heart rendering to me. And we have something, Kate, there, people should know this word. We want to teach them this world. It's called a rescueversary. And that is when we have the anniversary of an animal that we've rescued. And the rescueversary is the day that we welcomed them at Lions Rock. Now, the one with the rescue bursary in August was Laziz. Now, Laziz came to us in 2016 already, and all these years he had a beautiful life in the African sun. Now, he didn't start out with very good circumstances, Kate. It's actually very sad. He's a lion. He's a, he's a tiger. He's, oh, he's, he's a, a male tiger. tiger. Okay. Laziz, yes. Okay. So he was... He was in the Khan Yunus Zoo, which was regarded as the worst zoo in the world that was in the Gaza Strip. And that was during the conflict there. And for three weeks, Laziz was totally abandoned with the other animals in the zoo. We came to hear of it, um, the Four Paws office in Vienna, and we decided to go in and to save those animals. Laziz was the one animal that they brought to South Africa. But of course, then we then, when we welcome the animals down at Lions Rockade, we need to get them calmer. Again, we always think about the trauma they've been through. Mm-hmm. And it was for about six months. And then, Kate, it was the free state thunderstorms. And everything about those bombings while he was abandoned uh-huh. in a zoo, in a little cage as big as a toilet. And his partner, his, his tiger partner, passed away in during those three weeks. He was reminded of everything then when the first free state thunderstorm started. Now, Kate, you've been through a few of those thunderstorms. You know what it yeah. is all about. Yeah. yeah, so then the trauma came back to him. And they had to work again. They, the animal people, um, all our animal behaviors down there, they tried to win his trust back again so that he would come out of his night house again. We had night houses for them because, of course, Kate, you know how... I really cold it getting in the yes. winter. So they have night houses. Yes, and Laziz then used to go back into his like a night house just to sort of like um just be away from the thunder. But they had to work at him again. Kate and the good news is after these six years, Laziz is not afraid of a free state thunderstorm anymore. Oh. The trauma is a little bit past him now and he's just a 
very happy tiger in his、oh. own enclosure. And and Elise, I know you said you're not a petting zoo, and I know that the worst thing anybody can do. And I must admit, before I knew years ago, I took my kids to go and pet lion cubs. I'd never. Ever do it again? And tell us why you never, ever should go and pet lion cubs or go to a petting zoo. Okay, there's no judgment from our side for anyone who has done this because we know it is our responsibility to put the information out there. Okay, if you do、um, cub petting, if people、um, because they don't know about petting, if they have taken part in this, this is the first step of a very vicious cycle of exploitation of lions in South Africa. Kate, and the good news is, and we really need to thank yourself and the media for this, is we've just had a petition with 150,000 and、um, signatures. Actually, saying break the vicious cycle, and this vicious cycle it starts with the cub petting. So once the cubs are about two months old on some of these lion farms, people can go and they can pay money and have the cubs on their laps, have a selfie. So we get a lot of selfie cubs. Those selfie cubs after two months you can't put them on cot、um, for selfie cubs anymore. They just get too heavy, and then they go on and they are then the sub adults. They are sort of like the teenagers, and people start walking with them. They start. Playing with them, also paying money for that. After that, once again, the second phase of that cycle, they've got no use for them, so they start breeding with them. Once they started breeding with them, they've got no use for them. After a while, they then get shot as trophies in trophy hunting, and still in the fifth phase, they get. They then become lion bones, or they get sold um, um, while they're still alive to people who will make lion bones of them. So this is the vicious cycle, Kate, that we're trying to break. And we just ask your listeners, please don't support cup petting because that is where the vicious cycle starts.、Because、But no judgment from our side. No, they're taken away from their mothers when they're tiny and handled and fed by volunteers or staff at these.、Uh, Uh, zoos, these petting zoos. Then, as you say, they're all cuddly and lovely. Then they grow up to be teenagers. We know how difficult teenagers are of any species. Then they just go on to be brood animals. They're going to be、uh, used for breeding, and then they're going to be used as trophy animals. It's going to it's going to be candle iron hunting, isn't it? So it really is a vicious, vicious cycle. There are two huge、uh, myths about this,、um, Kate, that we're trying always to explain to people. So when they sit down, you might also experience this. And、um, there's always the story that you know the mother, the lion mother, threw these cubs away. That is such nonsense because if we just had to count all the bad lion mothers, Mother Nature would never have any lion cubs out there in the wild. It's not such, such thing. So that's the first thing they a- appeal to people's sympathy. This poor cub was thrown away by its mother. No, it wasn't thrown away. It was taken away. And lions are social animals. They want to be together. We see them in prides. That is what they want to be with their mothers. So the mother then has trauma. And little cub has trauma. The second myth, um, Kate, is that this is done for conservation. That is also just so much nonsense because these animals cannot be put back into the wild. They're domesticated now. They can't hunt. And、okay. they've been born into captivity. They can't hunt. So the conservation story that it is done for conservation that is also a big untruth. Okay, Elise. I know you're Elizabeth and Elise. Thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. And just to tell you all, Lion's Rock, it's a lovely place to visit if you're on the way to Durham's, if you're uh, in the region of the Free State. It's not a petting zoo, as Elise said. It really is a lovely place going. There's nice accommodation. Take the kids, take the teenagers, take the grandparents, go yourself. And it's very, very affordable, which is a nice thing to do. And you can pat yourselves on the back when you do go because you really are helping conservation. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9. Hi FM, Kate Turkington, and I'm talking about Plet and I'm talking about some of the places on the garden route. Why? Because holidays are coming up and I'm sure a lot of you are so thankful this year has ended. Look, it's been a better year than previous years, but even so it's been a hectic, hectic year. And I think most of us need a break and are looking forward to a break. And the Western Cape is such a wonderful place to go to. Now, if you want to do walking or hiking, and I'm sure many of you know this, go to Robert Nature Reserve. There's three fabulous walks. I did the one. Okay, all are equally spectacular, but let me warn you, even the shortest needs you to be quite steady on your pins because there are rocks to clamber up and down. So no flip-flops, comfortable shoes, and if you're doing the long walks, obviously you're going to take water and sunscreen and your binoculars, of course. So the shortest one, which is one I did, luckily I had a big strong man to help me over some of the tricky bits. It takes about half an hour. I think it took us about an hour because it was a gorgeous day. There were dolphins in the bay. There were sunbirds and Cape sugarbirds in the fame boss. So I took, we took uh, longer. But you get great views of the ocean and you can manage it but don't be. I went on to TripAdvisor and somebody said oh it's such an easy walk anybody can do it. No, you need to be, as I say, steady on your pins and take your time but it's not a route march. It's not a route march. Um, the, the longer walks, about 90 minutes maybe two hours, you go past a seal colony and if you're very fit and you need to be fit to do this three hours uh for the uh that that shortest walk uh, sorry not the shortest the longer one i've divided them into three the short one i talked about the longer one i'm now going to talk about the longest one that goes right to the end of the peninsula wonderful views of dolphins and whales offshore some of my colleagues who were with me did that they took or oh, they took over half a day to do it. but if you take a picnic or pug course you could spend the whole day uh, doing it because you'll certainly want to stop and admire the views and the wildflowers and if you've got time if you are giving yourself time there's an amazing archaeological excavation exhibition at Nelson's Bay 
cave. You just climb down to the cave. And the display shows you the occupation of that cave over thousands of years. By the way, all the information for these walks and hikes, what I'm talking about, you can find on Cape Nature. So that's www.capenature.co.za. Just capenature.co.za. But if you don't particularly want uh, just sea views, some of the best, best scenery along the Garden Route, go to the Sitsikama section of the Garden Route National Park, and that's between Nature's Valley and Plettenberg Bay. Look, you can do the five-day otter trail. One of my daughters did that earlier this year. I think she's still recovering from it. It's tough, but I'm booked up like a year in advance. So if you want to do the otter trail, get on Cape Nature and book, book well, well uh, in advance. Uh, a shorter trail and somewhat easier, the dolphin trail, uh, that's also booked quite uh, heavily in advance. But really, if you love hiking and walking, some of these hikes are really among the best in the world. That's not puffery. They really, really are. Okay, so you're not super fit. A less strenuous option is Storms River Mouth. I love Storms River Mouth. And that's where the river enters the sea. There's a narrow channel there between very sheer cliffs. And get yourselves off to the Sitsikama Visitor Centre, and that's where the trail starts. And it goes down through the forest over a narrow suspension bridge, which is strung out over the water. Uh, if you're, again, not too steady on your pins, have an arm to hold on to or hold on to the rail. I mean, look, it's not perilous, but it can be, can be a bit, uh, rocky. And then the other side of the bridge, the trail, it's quite steep then. It climbs up to a bluff which overlooks the river and the sea. So there's lots and lots of, uh, trails. And as I say, you can just get onto Cape Nature and find out all about them. Okay. So you don't want to do hiking or walking. You want to do mountain biking or just biking look all all the biking trails do require a certain degree of fitness uh, the uh, storms river mountain bike trail it's 22 k's but if you can do it and you're fit do it because it's absolutely uh, amazing and by the way if you don't want to take your own bike down to Plettenberg Bay or any of the area, there's a place in Plett called the Bike Shop where you can actually rent your bike. And the thing about the Bike Shop is they've got very friendly, knowledgeable staff, all bikers or mountain bikers uh, themselves, and they give you up-to-date advice on the, on the best trails in the area. And something I did, if you're not up to tackling a trail, you can hire an electric bike. That's my way of biking. You sit on the bike, and if you come to a bit of a hill, you just put the motor on, and off you go. So electric biking, too. And if the forest, too, you can do some lovely segue 
trails. Um, I'm a bit nervous about the Segway Trail. I once did one in uh, Madrid and was, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it was okay, but I didn't feel all that confident and comfortable. And in um, Malta that I was telling you about a couple of weeks ago, they've got these electric scooters everywhere and you just pick one up, no charge, you scoot off to where you want to go and then you just leave your scooter. People aren't very disciplined. You know, if you're in Europe and you hire a bike, you have to take it back to uh, a proper location. Malta, you just abandon your, you abandon your scooter but really really a lovely thing to do and another thing to do kayaking kayaking i mean if you kayak on plet bay plettenberg way it's not only a wonderful way to see the coast but very likely to see in season whales of course it is whale watching season now dolphins are there all the year round. Look, if you're kayaking, you're not going to see as many creatures if you're uh, as, as if you're on one of the big boats, but it's far more intimate and it's far more exciting actually if you can paddle past and you can paddle past that Cape Fur seal colony on Robert. Expect the smell. I think always with seal colonies, the thing you, I was off the coast of Namibia a few months ago uh, in Mulfish Bay, big seal colony. You, you smell the animals before you ever get to uh, see them. And if you are kayaking, be quite careful as you go out because of the fishing boats moored in the bay. It's quite busy. As I said earlier, with the swimming or whatever, just avoid the boat ramp area. And after the break, I'm going to tell you about the ultimate thrill, the ultimate, ultimate thrill. And if you only try one bungee jump once in your life, even, even higher than the Vic Falls one, the Blokans River Bridge. It's 230 metres, the highest commercial bungee jump in the world. The span of the bridge is the third highest bridge in the world and actually the highest in the southern hemisphere. And be sure if you do the bungee jump, pay a little bit extra and get the video because then you can dazzle your family and friends with you jumping off the highest bungee jump in the world. And if you don't want to fling yourself off the bridge, there's a walking tour. Uh, also not for the very faint of heart, because it's quite high and exposed, but you can watch all the you can watch all the bungee jumpers. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, I'm Kate Turkington, we're talking travels, and I did say a bit earlier we might go to the moon, well, we're going to the moon through the pages of a new book, and this is the section of the program where I suggest to you books that are great to read while you're travelling, while you're sitting in the airport, or armchair travelling, or books to give to family and friends. Now... Did you know that supermassive black holes can sing a super low B flat? Did you know you could grow turnips on Mars if its soil weren't full 
of rocket fuel. Well, a new book is called The Milky Way Smells of Rum and Raspberries and Other Amazing Cosmic Facts. The Milky Way Smells of Rum and Raspberries and Other Amazing Cosmic Facts. And it's by Dr. Gillian Scudder. And she's like the, I don't know if she'd like me to say this, but she's like the female equivalent of the naked scientist. She's an astrophysicist. She's a prof of physics and astronomy at Oberlin College in Ohio, a very prestigious college that and what she does is she makes science she makes space accessible to those of us who don't have degrees in astrophysics or science or astronomy or whatever so it's full of the most exciting uh, ideas um, listen to this the moon smells of gunpowder Saturn's rings are falling apart. Some galaxies look like jellyfish, and so on. This would be a great present, birthday present, bar mitzvah present, whatever, for a teenager who was interested in sci-fi, not fantasy, because this, this is the real McCoy. This is made-up stuff. So, did you know? <laughs> I certainly didn't. The universe is beige, on average, you look up at that night sky and you see, the, I mean, we are so lucky in South Africa. We have the most wonderful skies. Okay, if you go to the Kalahari or you go into the desert somewhere, you go into the Northern Cape, you go to, you go to any desolate place, you will see stars like you've never seen before. You know what the Sam Bushman once told me? Many, many years ago, I was in the Makati Kati Pan in Botswana, and we were out camping one night with some of the Sam Bushmen, and they said, shh, listen, you can hear the stars sing. Shh, listen, you can hear the stars sing. And even in Johannesburg, even in the cities, on many a night, we can see beautiful, we can see beautiful stars and planets. So I look up at the night sky, if it's a clear sky, and I can do a few of the planets. I can do Mars and Jupiter, Milky Way as it's there. But now, Dr. Gillian Scudder tells me, the universe is beige, which is such a boring <laughs> colour. And the galaxy, our galaxy, is flatter than a credit card. You know, it's like time and space. You know, I hear that we're X light years from the moon. I must tell you, I'm right brain, I'm not left brain. We hear something is, and it's so hard for people who don't have that kind of brain to get their heads round things like the universe and, and to know that we... Somebody once said to me, I think it was Carl Sagan, many moons ago I was interviewing him, and he said, imagine holding a grain of sand at the stretch your arm out, put a grain of sand on the end of your finger, and then beyond that, as far, not even as far, further than the eye can see, are galaxy, galaxies after galaxies, after galaxies, after galaxies. We, we're not even a dot 
I don't think in the cosmos. So, um, and the galaxy, as, as the title of the book says, the galactic center tastes of raspberries and smells of rum. She explains all this. I'm, I, I can't explain that if you read the book. It's very, very well explained. Um, one of the black holes is surrounded by uh, water, and some of the stars, even in our little galaxy, are just passing through, passing through. Um, it rains on some of the brown dwarfs. Um, it rains diamonds on Neptune. So if we get ourselves off to Neptune, we can pick up a handful of uh, diamonds. The moon smells of gunpowder. Okay, there's just the most wonderful, wonderful concepts she explains here. Um, Saturn's rings are falling apart. That really troubles me because I've seen Saturn's rings on a telescope and they look so solid and so comfortable. But anyway, a great book for you to read. It will tease your mind. You can read it in gobbets. You don't have to read it all at once. Read a chapter at a time. The Milky Way smells of rum and raspberries and other amazing cosmic facts. It's by Dr. Gillian Scudder, and it's published by, let me just see, published by, I'm looking at the book, it's in my uh, hand now. It's distributed in South Africa by Jonathan Ball, so you're going to find it at all good uh, bookshops. I'll be back next week talking about all sorts of other things. In the meantime, be well and travel safely.